even if you've never seen the film, you would still probably recognize the music. Written by Vangelis and its associated film, Chariots of Fire. It won four Oscars, including Best Film in 1981. And it focused on the true story of two athletes who competed at the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. One of them, Eric Liddell, is a name held in high regard here in Scotland. For he was born to Scottish missionary parents in China and studied here both science and divinity at Edinburgh University. However, what most people know about Eric Liddell was the principled stand he took not to run in his selected event, the 100 metres, upon discovering that it was to take place on a Sunday. And so on the day when the final was being held, a final he was widely predicted to win, Little preached instead at a Church of Scotland in the Rue Bayard in Paris. However, although it was not his best event, he was then invited to take part in the 400 metres, a race held on a weekday. At the start line of the race, as the film depicts, his American opponent passed him a slip of paper, upon which were written some words from 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 30, Those who honour me, I will honour. Little went on to win the gold medal in a world record time of 46.7 seconds. Nonetheless, while many enjoyed the film, while they admired the fact that Little was prepared to take a principled stand, no matter the cost, few chose to follow or adopt his ideals. The BBC review of the film commented, No athlete today would take Little's stance. And the film knew that even 20 years ago. So there is a poignancy to the principle, a nostalgic air that remains moving. But what is really surprising is that today not only would no athlete take such a stance, but almost a quarter of a century on, very few Christians would do so either. You see, there has been a fundamental shift in how we observe the Lord's day. Not just in society, but also in the church. And while it's true, as some of you perhaps recall, that in the past, Sabbath observance could sometimes be taken to legalistic proportion, Nevertheless, today the pendulum has swung the other direction, from legalism to license. Meaning that for many Christians, Sunday is a day just like any other. And the only distinctive being that perhaps they attend church on a Sunday, increasingly only once, while the rest of the day simply doing their own thing. And therefore, while most Christians would argue for the enduring relevance of the Ten Commandments, at least in some form, the Fourth Commandment is often treated as an exception, as one which no longer applies to us today. Hence the title of David Searle's book on the commandments, And Then There Were None. 
Now this is a vast and it's a complicated subject and I approach it with a degree of trepidation. Knowing that whatever I say, probably most of you will disagree with it. And being very careful not to fall into either trap of legalism on the one hand, giving you a prescription of do's and don'ts, or license on the other hand, saying, well, it just doesn't matter what you think about it. But it's an important tightrope that we walk, because we avoid the significance of this commandment to our own peril. It remains God's law. It is a law that God has not abolished, but rather by the coming of Jesus fulfilled, given its full meaning in Him. So, with all this in mind, by way of introduction, let's come to our subject with open hearts. The title we've chosen is borrowed from a book on the Ten Commandments by Alistair Begg. The fourth chapter of Pathway to Freedom is titled, Holy Day or Holiday. And let's begin, as we always do, by looking to what God actually said when he gave this commandment originally to the people of Israel through their leader Moses in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. It's page 78 in the Pew Bible. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. So then, did God intend the Sabbath day to be a holy day or a holiday? Either, both, or neither. Well, let's look together at both of these aspects. And first of all, with the teaching here that the Sabbath is firstly a holiday for our good. The Hebrew word Shabbat, from which we get the word Sabbath, literally means to desist, to cease, or to make an end. A Sabbath was anything which broke your routine. And in the Old Testament, the key number in this breaking of the routine was the number seven. So, in the law of Israel, land was to be left fallow every seventh year, a Sabbath rest for crop production. And every seven sevens, that's year 50, there was a very special year called Jubilee. It was a time of fresh beginnings when deaths were cancelled, slaves were freed, and land was given back to its original owners. However, the best known and most fundamental cycle was that of the seven days of the week. The last or the seventh being the Sabbath day. And on that day, your previous six days work came to a halt. Resting on the seventh day. 
Now, where did that human pattern come from? Did Israel just make up its own particular system of doing things? Did they just say, well, six days of the week sounds like a good number, maybe one to rest? No, not at all. No, this pattern derives not from Israel, but from God himself. It is a divine pattern. As Moses points out, it goes all the way back to creation. When God completed his work of creating the heavens and the earth in six days, and then resting on the seventh day. It was what God did. So that God's pattern was laid out as our pattern. A model that God has imprinted on our makeup and programmed into the very fabric of the world in which we live. The Ten Commandments are often referred to as the Maker's Instructions. And what the manual says is that if you run human beings non-stop, without a break, eventually they will break down. Try it. People have in the past. There have been governments, for example, in Russia, where they tried to institute a 10-day week without success. Or non-stop work, like in ancient Egypt, for slaves. But while the goal is always to increase efficiency and improve profits, the result is always the same. Increased inefficiency. Why? Because the maker's instructions are being ignored. And if we ignore this fundamental pattern, we, the individual, suffers. A doctor was once asked about the periods of rest he prescribed frequently for his patients. And he commented, the rest I prescribe for my patients are often Sabbaths in arrears. You see, you cannot cheat this system. If you don't take a break, soon you will be forced to take one. Now frankly, Christians are often among the worst on this score. If I can be even more blunt, eager Christians, enthusiastic Christians, and that's fantastic, are often, however, among the worst when it comes to this. We get involved in anything and everything, all the time. With no time, no opportunity to pause, to stop, to rest. Peter Brain, uh, in an excellent book, which I recommend to you, called Going the Distance, how to stay fit for a lifetime of ministry. Describes what happened to him when he refused to take his breaks. He says, I went to visit a couple who had not been to church for some time. I called on them a number of times and we still got on well together. I drove to their home. I stopped. I couldn't get out. I drove around the block and the same thing happened. And the third time. Perhaps it was because this was a difficult visit, I reasoned. However, neither could I make the two other friendly backup visits I planned to people who had already recently visited our church. I drove home, reported the incident to my wife, who knew exactly what had happened. As one who normally loved visiting, this was unfamiliar territory to be in. I can't remember if either of us used the term burnout, but that's exactly what was happening. In my own case, he goes on to write, I took every evening off for the next two weeks. The local leadership was more than happy for me to do this, since they saw no value in a tired, disengaged pastor. 
extra rest, time out, and a time to be with family gave me refreshment. Thankfully, the spiral was broken by early intervention. And friends, this is what happens to all of us when we do not take our breaks. And particularly, when we ignore God's prescription to take a Sabbath break. We suffer, our families inevitably suffer, and moreover, society itself suffers. You may remember when we did those interviews on Princess Street a couple of months ago, questioning people about what they thought of the Ten Commandments. It was interesting that those we spoke to about the Sabbath commandment thought that it was something only applicable to religious people. They couldn't see that it had value for everybody. But when God gave Israel this fourth commandment, he said that it applied to everyone. Even animals had to take a break. And unlike other societies where slaves were forced to work every day of the week, even foreigners resident in Israel were given a day off. That's why Harold Macmillan, the former conservative prime minister, once described the Sabbath as the first and greatest worker protection act in history. You see, the Sabbath day is given for our good. That's why when Jesus pointed out to some religious critics who accused him of Sabbath breaking, that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And yet with an important caveat as well. See, maybe you're sitting thinking, well, this is great. Uh, On a Sunday, this means I uh, don't need to worry about lifting a finger. Uh, If I'm driving to church in the morning and I see someone broken down at the side of the road, good news, it's Sunday. I don't need to stop and help. No, that's not Jesus' point at all. The Sabbath is for our rest and it is for our good, but it is also a day for doing good. Have you ever noticed that Jesus performed many of his miracles on the Sabbath day? At least six of them on the Sabbath He could have done them, as the Pharisees demanded, on the other six days of the week. But Jesus was pointing out to the Pharisees, as he is pointing out to us, the true purpose for this day. Remember, when he was confronted with a man with a shriveled hand, and he asked his critics, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good, or to do evil? To save life, or to kill? And Jesus was angry at their silence. He restored the man's hand to life. He was not cancelling, you see, the use of the Sabbath, but he was correcting it. It is a day for our good, but also for doing good. And Jesus had every right to do this, because as the passage goes on to say, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. So, brothers and sisters, and especially workaholics among us, Let us hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. That the Sabbath is for our good. And don't forget, it's for doing good. But is it a holiday? Well, a dictionary definition of holiday is a period in which a break is taken from work or studies for rest. So in that case, the answer is yes. But is that all the Sabbath is? Well, no. It is more than that. So what I want to say secondly is that the Sabbath 
It's not only a holiday for our good, but it is also a holiday for our God. The English word holiday actually comes from Old English. Ironically, it originally meant holy day. Your holiday was your holy day. And the fourth commandment emphasizes this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The word holy means distinctive. It means set apart. It describes, first of all, who God is. He is a God who is altogether different to us in His character. And therefore, on the Sabbath, we first and foremost focus on God and who He is. It is a day which belongs to the Lord, the Holy One. Now granted, there's a sense in which, of course, every day belongs to the Lord. Each day we live should be a day that is set apart for Him. Nevertheless, on the other five or six days that we work, so easily work becomes the center of our lives. Because it occupies so much of our waking time. And therefore, in the wisdom of God, He gives us this break after every six days to remind us that work is not our God. A day which reminds us that we belong to the Lord. Work is not, as Henry Ford once said, the salvation of the human race, morally, physically, socially. He once said that if you built a factory, you built a temple. No, God is our salvation. God is our God. And when you cease work, you affirm that God is your Lord, not your work. Work is a good thing, but it is not a God thing. So, Os Guinness, in an excellent little book called The Calling, poses some questions for us to think about. Do we enjoy our work, love our work, virtually worship our work, so that our devotion to Jesus is off-center? Do we put emphasis on service, on usefulness, on being productive and working for God at His expense? Do we strive to prove our own significance, to make a difference in the world, to carve our names in marble on the monuments of time? The call of God blocks the path of all such deeply human tendencies. We are not primarily called to something or go somewhere. We are called to someone. We are not called first to a special work, but to nothing but God himself. And on the Sabbath day, Sunday by Sunday, we preach that message to ourselves. Perhaps unconsciously we do so. And moreover, we witness to others that we are God's people. It's also a day which tells others that we belong to the Lord. You see, Sabbath observance marks us out as being distinctive from those around us. It is yet another way in which we can be conspicuous for Christ. See, while other people on a Sunday are focusing on having a long lie and breakfast in bed, while they're focusing on doing the gardening or reading their latest novel or shopping. As we focus on God, it sets us apart as different. We stand out, we shine as lights in the universe. And the crucial challenge for us as Christians, if we are Christians, is that we do not lose this distinctive mark. That we don't surrender this God-ordained witness as directed in the fourth commandment, but actually as established at creation. 
Because you see, as we focus our attention on God, a wonderful and surprising thing happens. Because God gets the glory, but we gain the benefit. Isaiah the prophet was speaking to the people in his day and challenging them about Sabbath breaking. He said, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. See, as we keep the Sabbath, we discover that obedience to God is not an onerous burden. We experience joy in God. And moreover, we are also renewed by His Holy Spirit. Not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Inner renewal. How often have you come to church on a Sunday morning, feeling a little bit low, feeling like things are out of perspective, and left with that inner renewal, that fresh perspective in your life, and not least, on your work. You may know the story of William Wilberforce, the Member of Parliament, who after decades of campaigning, brought to an end the slave trade in the 19th century. Wilberforce was a very evil politician. He was tipped earlier in his career to do very well. But he was also a committed Christian. And he never felt it right to work on a Sunday. After one particular day of rest, he regained some fresh perspective on his ambitions. And he wrote at the end of the day in his diary, These earthly things assume their true size. Later in his life, he wrote sadly of contemporaries who had broken under the pressure of politics. With peaceful Sundays, the strings would never have snapped as they did from overtension. Now again, this applies to us not just as individuals, but to us collectively. Because we keep the Sabbath with other people who also belong to God. It is shared with God's people. Some people suggest, you see, that it really doesn't matter which day of the week you keep, as long as you keep one day. Now, of course, sometimes this is a necessity, particularly for ministers and people in essential services. It's just impossible to have a break on a Sunday. However, it does present something of a difficulty. That the day I keep as my Sabbath may therefore be a lonely day, because other Christians are working on my Sabbath. And yet God has called us, not just as individuals, but as members of his church, to meet him together in a particular place on a set day of the week, ideally. So, you ask, does it matter which day of the week we choose then? Well, for Israel, their Sabbath uh, was the seventh, the last day of the week, our Saturday. However, as you know, few professing Christians today meet on a Saturday, save the Seventh-day Adventists. Instead, they we keep Sunday as our Sabbath. So why do we do that? Is it justified? Well, the New Testament does not in fact give an altogether tidy picture. But it does show a transition that was beginning to take place at the time. The Lord Jesus, despite Sabbath aberrations in his day, went to the synagogue nevertheless. And on his missionary travels, the Apostle Paul also went into the synagogues to preach about Jesus. 
And almost certainly Christians from a Jewish background would have went into the synagogue to church on a Saturday. Nevertheless, the last clear description of Jesus' followers keeping a Jewish Sabbath was on the Sabbath after Good Friday, after the body of Jesus was laid to rest. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. However, we know the story, that the next morning everything changed forever with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, not surprisingly, that seventh day, marking an end, was soon replaced by the first day, marking a new beginning. The first day for the Church of Christ. And this became even more prominent as the Gospel spread outwards into Gentile areas. Christians began to meet on the first day of the week in the name of the risen Jesus. So for one example, in Acts 20, verse 7, we read that Paul's missionary party met with Christians in Troas and it was on the first day of the week that we came together to break bread. Now all this said, it's a bit of a messy picture. And it suggests that the day itself is not of primary importance. Well, perhaps somebody should be our preference. No, the point is the observance of one day in seven which is set apart as holy, set apart particularly to focus on the Lord. A holy day for our God. Now, what are we to make of all this in conclusion? What have we learned this morning? Well, we've learned that the Sabbath is both a holiday for our good and it is a holy day for our God. And so if you have no Christian commitment, if you treat the, a Sunday just like any other day, then you miss out on its essential purpose. And as a society, as well as individuals, we suffer the serious consequences of that. But they are equally dangerous for those of us who are Christians this morning. Because we may ignore the essence of this command as easily as anyone else. My grandmother still recalls and tells me from time to time that when she went to church 50, 60 years ago, it was not uncommon to meet for two services in the morning, a service in the afternoon, an evening service, and then a youth fellowship at night. And I would say to her, do you call that a day of rest? <laughs> or maybe we have the other problem. We push God to the periphery on what should be a day of primary focus on Him. So how do we avoid these dangers? How do we keep Sunday special? What are the specific things that we should do or should not do on a Sunday? Well, if you're hoping for a list of rules and regulations, you're going to be disappointed. Not because the intention isn't to offend anyone, but rather because the New Testament warns us against judging people, judging others, for what they do or don't do on a particular day. Remember what Paul said over in Romans. One man considers one day more sacred than another. And another man considers every day alike. But each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And you see, actually, this is the biggest danger of all. That we end up not being fully convinced about anything. We have no view about how to apply this commandment in our own life today. 
And therefore, I ask you this morning, as a closing challenge, what are you fully convinced about? Within the framework that we've set up, what are your personal convictions about the Sabbath? You should have some, according to Paul. And my challenge is, first of all, to evaluate how you spend your Sundays. Here's a suggestion. Why not chat over the lunchtime table? With a family, your flatmates, whatever your situation is. And discuss together. Are we giving enough time for rest? Are we taking enough of a break? And ask yourself too. Are we giving enough room to God? Enough space for Him? And if not, how can we remedy that? Come to your own convictions, your own firm conclusions about it. But secondly, I also challenge you, whatever convictions you come to, be willing to put God to the test. Put Him to the test in some specific way. In relation to your work, sport, study, whatever, regarding the fourth commandment. And prove, as Eric Riddle did, that those who honour me, I will honour. I wonder, what have we been sacrificing for God? on a Sunday recently. Let's pray.